Today's reading is Luke 15, 1 through 2, and 11 through 32. It can be found on page 964 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near to the house, he heard the music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What is going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him? My son, said the father, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Our God of grace, as we listen to these words, may you join us and may your Holy Spirit um, activate these words um, that as we are sitting here listening, uh, we might be hearing you and be hearing words of grace in a way perhaps that only a, a story and a parable like this can unlock for us. We sit here and the truth of the matter is we're more... Uh, of a mess in our lives than we care to admit to the people around us. We may not even want to admit that to you. And the story of your grace in Scripture keeps telling us, keeps moving towards us, 
if only we would hear it, it's saying to us, yeah, you're more of a mess than you care to admit, but you're more loved now and accepted in Jesus than you ever imagined. And so we live simultaneously with the possibility of seeing and having a sort of godly sorrow for our brokenness um, mingled with constantly and dominated by constantly a new identity, belonging, loved, accepted, validated in Christ alone, not on anything we have done. May that grace move into our hearts and change us, whether for the first time today or the 1,001st time in our lives. We pray in Christ's name, amen. There was a video that was sort of, I guess, I guess you'd say it was viral, that it, it went around about a month ago, and it showed this mob of people swarming down this street, um, this busy downtown street in Taiwan, this mob of people, and it went viral. Why? Because what were these people swarming to go do? Does anybody know? Pokemon. Pokemon. <laughs> That's right. And, and, and anything more specific? Did any of you follow it close enough to know specifically? It was a Snorlax. <laughs> Very good. Yep, yep. <laughs> You're just really well read. Yeah, and read the newspapers. Um, some of you, are, you have no idea what we're talking about. Um, some of you, while a story like that is going viral and you see this mob of people going to catch a Snorlax that appeared, a lot of you are saying, I can hear it. I can hear the little noises you're making. You're, you're in a sense, you're muttering, right? You're saying, what? What is up with it? What kind of strange thing is this crowd doing? It's so odd. It's so unusual. One group is rushing and there's another group of us kind of, kind of looking on askance and muttering and scoffing even. Well, is that familiar at all? I, I, you know, I got to be a relevant preacher and have a relevant introduction like that because nothing's more relevant than Pokemon Go. Uh, but, you know, I, look at the parallel here. It's another group rushing and another crowd muttering at the same time. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So, uh, sort of a similar dynamic. Um, some totally get it and they're off and they understand the importance. They understand the draw and others kind of going. I'm, I'm not with this in one way or another. I don't get it. I'm not for it. I can't uh, validate it or condone it. And that really, this, these two verses set the scene for us. These two verses of Luke 15 sets the scene for us for about six weeks of talking about the parable of the prodigal. We call it... Um, we're calling this series, to follow the book by Tim Keller, we're calling it The Prodigal God. And what is it normally known as, for those of you who have some church background, what's the story known as? Prodigal Son. And that just goes back to the meaning of the word prodigal, which is to recklessly spend. To spend spending recklessly is to be a prodigal. So, this is an attempt to bring the focus off of this rebel younger son in the story, to the prodigal nature of God, the reckless spending of the father in the story representing God. 
And so, as, so today, what today is, is sort of an intro. It's an introduction to this story in this chapter of Scripture. Very briefly, let's just ask two questions. And the first is, have you experienced the joy of God's welcome? Have you experienced the joy of God's welcome? And the second question is, have you become a welcomer yourself? So have you experienced the joy of God's welcome, and has that moved you into being a welcomer yourself? Verses 1 and 2 again. It's very short. I can just read it again so it sticks in our minds. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Over and over throughout the four Gospels, the four true accounts of Jesus' life, over and over throughout all of them you see this pointed to. You see this strange phenomenon that Jesus ends up drawing, it almost seems like it's just described, it's not explained. It's described often that Jesus, that people, the people gathering to him, drawing to him, um, are the outcasts, the people you look with pity or derision on, the people that are difficult to be friends with. And this is often these little narrative moments where it's just described that this is what, what happens. If you move to, just to give you another example, um, that has a lot of similarities. If you go to Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 through 13, we read that as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Tax collectors were really scummy because they were like traitors for the Jewish people of that day. And they were um, greedy people who were dishonest. So he went to uh, Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he said, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners, there's this phrase again, they came and they ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, you know, the religious insider achievers, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Christians believe that when we see Jesus, we are actually witnessing, if we see things in Jesus, if we see things in the stories about Jesus, we're witnessing the character of God himself who has come to earth on a rescue project. So when we see traits in Jesus, when we read into the story, the Christian believes we're learning about God. And so it's easy to actually read through these Gospels and just think of these, um, these parts like what I just read as kind of accidental, inconvenience-producing dynamics that were happening in Jesus' life. They're just incidental things you kind of have to mention to set the scene and set the stage. You know, by accident, you know, amidst all the other people Jesus was drawing, you know, there were these people that were... Um, unsightly and uneasy to be friends with, and quite frankly, a lot of people didn't want to be around. You know, that, that just happened to be one of the things in his, that was happening. And that's really not at all what, what we should take away. Not that it's some incidental thing, not that it's accidental, but that Jesus actually, it's very clear, if you pay closer attention to the bigger story, Jesus was coming to bring the welcome of God. He was 
he, so it's not a sense in which Jesus was bringing the welcome of God and teaching about the welcome of God and then kind of had a, these people around that maybe he didn't expect and started scratching his head and said, well, I better do a miracle and make food happen for these people because I never foresaw that these kind of people would hang around me. It's not like that at all, right? Um, oh, now, oh, we're going to have to deal with a lot of inconveniences now that this is happening, but, well, I'm Jesus, so I better uh, buck up and smile about it and, and do my best. No, this, was, this, is, very, this is central. This was, this was the mission of God coming to his world, that these people publicly, in view of everyone, that the gospel would be played out for people to see and pe- other people, not Jesus, but other people to scratch their head. Almost like hopefully through this, I'm sure Jesus' mind was probably more in this place, hopefully through this happening, someone will ask a question about why. You know, someone will say, why do you do that? And then, he, and then oh, then I'm ready. I got this parable, the prodigal son thing I'm going to pull out, right? Like, he's ready. This is the character of God just flowing out as Jesus comes to us, not an accident. And the question that we end up having to deal with is, you know, has, has God's welcome come to you? Because it's, as Jesus answers the question, what he does, he tells about a parable about the lost sheep. He tells a parable about a lost coin and then this parable about this lost son. And in each of them, what's very clear is that the climax of each of those three things is, is this joyful celebration that the lost has been found. So there's this joyful celebration that the welcome with you has worked that you've come and that you're here and that you're welcome and you believe you're welcome and there's a, there's a celebration, there's a party, there's something happening in your honor. That, that's the welcome of God for you. That's the experience of the gospel. That's what it is to know God. That's what it is to be a Christian. Has it happened yet? Has that joy happened? Have you, has it connected? Has it landed? We've got... Um, a culture really that's, if we just kind of pay attention to surveys and whatever you want to uh, cite, but you can see that we're becoming less and less interested year by year in Jesus and in church and in what people would call religion. Less and less interested. And I might point out or suspect that along with that and maybe partly a cause of that is that there's a growing sense in us that I'm okay I mean, I'm okay. Oh, you church people. Oh, oh Jesus with your teachings. I, I mean, I'm okay. I got this. I got it handled. I'm okay. I don't need that. And what, what is obvious from the very beginning of this chapter of Luke 15, that there's, there's kind of two, there's two options. There's two people. There's two groups here when it comes to Jesus. It's the I'm okay, I got this people. And there's the people who in some way, they know the welcome of Jesus, but they only know it because they know that they need something. They know that they have messed things up. So there's the I got this handled people and the people who I, I, don't, I might not have this handled. And it's the people over here that are tasting and experience, or over here, I forget which side I just did. <laughs> 
I think you know, that's a test. Do you know where I'm going with this? It's the people who are in some sense saying, I don't got this handled. That are saying, and now I get this insurpassable, unsurpassable, uh, incredibly overflowing joy. The welcome of God. I get it. You won't get it if you're over here saying, I got this. Because usually over here, the, 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 the greatest thing you might do if you got it is you might say, I, need a, I got it mostly, but I need a little consulting from Jesus. I need a little blessing of this prayer, of this thing I hope to take care of. I need a little, a little but I'm, I got it, I got it. I mean, if you don't show up, God, it's still okay because I'm pretty much got this figured out, right? It's a pretty weighty fork in the road, right? Where are, are you going to, it's going to take some spiritual pride to let go of and then to say, yeah, I, you know, and maybe that spiritual pride is connected to some pretty specific things that are getting in the way of you realizing that you have God's welcome. What's it going to be? What do you want? Do you want that joyful welcome and acceptance? That's what you need to experience. That's what Jesus is hoping, right? He's hoping you'll scratch your head, even today, still, 2,000 years later, and go, huh, yeah, I don't, wait, what, what he said, what, something's up here. I, I don't get it, but I'm intrigued about, I don't know if I, that joyful feeling that Mark's talking, I don't know, I don't know. Jesus is still today hoping that you'll get to that point, you'll, you'll have some, some desire to find out and to look and to say, I want to get God's walk. I want to figure that out. I want that to land firmly in my life. And then if you do, then you can move on and it will move you on. It's not even something you accomplish or do, but you'll be moved on after you're in the midst of the joyful welcome that God can give you, that bubbling up from you will be the desire to become a welcomer to even, like most of the stories with Jesus, even the people who... Um, who you've set up various things in your life that are guaranteed you won't spend time with that kind of person. Um, people that you pity or you um, just dislike or you don't know what to do with or it creates awkwardness, you'll be moving out um, towards those people. It's a, it's a convicting thing. It's a convicting thing uh, for me. It's a convicting thing to consider in our church, basically the question, if the, if the, has the gospel landed here in my life or in this church's life? If so, there's a sense in which there will be a lot of people being welcomed in that you wouldn't normally, if this hadn't happened in your life, wouldn't normally end up here, you know, amidst our community, at your small group, in your life, at the parties you throw at your house, or the people you have over, or the things, you know, that happen here. Um, at City Life Community. So this is what this is sort of a convicting way that Tim Keller says it. I think we need to hear it. I need to hear it. You'll notice I'm included in this quote. Jesus' teaching consistently attracted irreligious, the irreligious, while offending the Bible-believing religious people of his day. However, in the main, our churches today do not have this effect. The kind of outsiders Jesus attracted are not attracted to contemporary churches. Even our most avant-garde ones, we tend to draw conservative, button-down, moralistic people. Now, don't be offended. Just, I know. I know what you're thinking. <laughs> the licentious and liberated or broken, heart, broken and marginal avoid church. That can only mean one thing. If the preaching of our ministers and the practice of our parishioners does not have the same effect on people that Jesus had, 
then we must not be declaring the same message that Jesus did. If our churches aren't appealing to younger brothers, they must be more full of elder brothers than we'd like to think. Sit with that. Because once God's joyful welcome arrives, you get turned into a welcomer. It just starts to happen. Those you once saw as separate, you now actually start to see a a similarity. You see a sameness. Um, Because of your not belonging in the relationship with God that now has been bridged by his welcome. Those you wrote off, those you distanced, those you branded as troublemakers, now you target with your love. And if you want to just, let me just specify three pathways towards that, and then I'll pray. One, the first pathway, and these are common pathways the gospel works to turn you into a welcomer. First is to invite the gospel to drive out fear and give you courage. So the gospel is the welcome of God. If you have the welcome of God, what do you fear? What are you afraid of? Afraid I might lose this, afraid I might lose this sort of comfort thing, afraid I might have to be challenged. No, what? Now that you live in the welcome of God, it sort of pushes the fears to the outside. And what the Bible says in one place, um, perfect love drives out fear. So invite the gospel to drive out fear. Secondly, invite God to open doors. People who get the gospel and the welcome of God begin to pray, God, open a door. Uh, Might be difficult, might be awkward, might involve sacrifice, might be uncomfortable. God, would you give me opportunities to bring your welcome to someone else today, tomorrow, this week, every day? And then third, invite the gospel to shuffle your priorities. Uh Uh-oh. Invite the gospel to to shuffle your priorities. Because once God's welcome has settled your agitation and calmed your passions, that's what it starts to do, then you can see everything in a new light and everything kind of shifts and shuffles. So it won't, it won't even be as strange as it maybe looks like now because it'll start to make sense. You'll start to see, oh, this thing that I was clutching. I, why? It doesn't even... Well, now that I have this welcome of God, I live within that and the trust in that relationship. Well, these, these piddly things over here, you know, and... So they start to shift and shuffle. And then you realize, you might start to realize, oh, that's why, that was actually a barrier to being a welcomer to certain people in my life. And I didn't even realize it. Invite the gospel to drive out fear. Invite God to open doors. And invite the gospel to shuffle your priorities. Let's pray that this can happen. I invite you to join me in prayer. Our gracious God, as we bow our heads, as we consider this message, and just the very beginning, we've only scratched the surface of this prodigal God story. Hardly even talked about the meat and potatoes of this story, but we've, over, we've laid over the whole thing a sense of what is going on, what is the context, and what are, where are our hearts. So I pray that your, your grace will uh, blossom and come alive um, in living color in our lives because um, because we experience deeply the welcome that we often even push away. And that we also might see very clearly today, tomorrow, this week, this month, in our lives, the tangible places where welcome must be brought. 
And who better than us? Who better than me? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.